we're going to pray for our time together. And this morning, our prayers are informed by uh, part of John, chapter 16. Uh, you can follow in the Church Bibles on page 902, if you would like. And we're going to pick it up at John 16, halfway through verse 4. And it says this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, but he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, but he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, together this morning to consider the coming of your son to heaven. We thank you that this coming was a coming to you, the father, and one in which your son received from you dominion, glory and the kingdom. We thank you that his coming to you was for our advantage. Whilst from a human perspective, he was seen to leave his disciples. From a heavenly perspective, it was a necessary precursor to sending your spirit. We thank you that your spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We thank you that this spirit was the spirit of truth, who would testify to your disciples that you are the Father and that Jesus is your son. And that that in turn, they would be your witnesses to this truth, to the world. Help us, we pray this morning, to reflect on how the coming of your son relates to the spirit. Help us not to neglect the truths concerning the ascension of your son. Help us to properly understand the physical absence of your son from us, in light of who you are and your plan of redemption. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to have our main reading now, which is the uh, first half of Ephesians 4. Again, if you want to follow, it's 977, page 977 of the Church Bibles. And we're going to pick it up. Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. <coughs> there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace has given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, <coughs> in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do keep that text open. We're going to be having a look at uh, that together. We won't be working through it um, in a normal way. We've worked through Bible books because it's a bit more topical, but we'll, we'll be having a look at um, that at various points. Just to say there's an outline of where we're going in the service sheet. Uh, do make use of that, as you will, and there will be uh, a short time at the end for any questions or comments that you might have. But for now, let's pray and ask for uh, God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who does not change and that you are the God who continues to be truthful, good and sovereign over us. And we pray now in response to your word, you'd help us to listen, trust and obey and therefore vindicate who you are uh, as is fitting for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In this year's mini Christmas series, we are thinking about the coming of the Son. But we're not looking at the coming of the Son to us, but the coming of the Son to heaven. That is, this mini-series is all about the ascension of Jesus. And it forces us to reorientate ourselves. Or we can assume that the coming of the Son is his coming to us. And that's partly because we see things from our perspective. If we say someone is coming, we assume that they are coming to where we are. But the ascension forces us to consider an alternative perspective, a heavenly one. For this coming of Jesus is his coming to heaven. Last week we saw that his coming to heaven was his coming to the Father. Promised in Daniel 7 fulfilled in the ascension of Jesus. The Son comes to the Father to receive dominion. All authority is the Father's to give, and he gives it to his Son when he comes to him. 
If the ascension is downplayed, therefore, this perspective is less in our view. I mean, if Jesus hasn't received dominion, then who has it? People make all kinds of power claims today. Yet whatever claims are made, they're not absolute nor final. The consequence of Jesus' ascension is that he is already victorious. Jesus already has dominion because it's been given to him by his Father. Now in this session, we're going to briefly consider how the coming of the Son relates to the Spirit. And it was in John chapter 16 that Jesus comments that it is to the disciples' advantage that he departs. Let me read again uh, John 16 from verse 5. Jesus says, But now I'm, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The reason why it's to our advantage that Jesus departs is so that the Spirit may come. So the Spirit of God is not left by Jesus when he goes. Rather, the Spirit is sent by him when he goes away. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father at Jesus' behest after he has ascended. And this, of course, not only indicates how precious Jesus considers the gift of the Spirit, but also how his ascension is the necessary precursor to Pentecost. Now, the coming of the Spirit is described for us in Acts chapter 2. And it's Peter's sermon that provides the explanation of what happened at Pentecost. The explanation of Pentecost is that Jesus has been exalted as Lord. The phenomena is the Spirit, but the explanation is centred on Christ. If the Spirit has been given in this way, then Jesus must have been enthroned as Lord. So Peter would say in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, This God raised up, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Pentecost is explained by Peter in terms of the ascension. It's because Jesus is now ascended that the Spirit has come. And it will be the Spirit that will bring the new birth that Jesus spoke of, as the Spirit enables individuals to grasp this truth Jesus is the Son, and God is his Father. You see, the problem of sin for us is that we are unable to respond to God and are unable to understand him. But these problems are met in full by the Holy Spirit in his work of regeneration 
and illumination. Now, the victorious Jesus also sends gifts to his church. And these gifts are given to build her common life under his headship. And it's this that we read about in Ephesians chapter 4, which was our main Bible reading this morning. And let me read again for us chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 10. And I'll make a few observations. So Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, in verse 7, Paul introduces the idea that Christ gives gifts. Everyone has been given gifts as Christ has apportioned them to his people. But then we get verses 8 to 10. What has that got to do with gifts? Well, in short, these verses tell us what kind of giver Christ is. On the one hand, he is the ascended Christ. He's ascended on high, and as the victorious king, he is now able to distribute gifts. The quotation there in Ephesians 4 in verse 8 is taken from Psalm 68 and speaks not only of the victory of God's king, but how that victory is for the benefit of his people. If you can put it this way, they share in the booty. On the other hand, he is the Christ who descended Jesus descended into our world is picking up on the idea that Jesus became incarnate and that he humbled himself even to death on a cross. He descended into this world and showed those characteristics that took him to the cross, bearing the punishment that should properly have fallen on us in our place. He went to the cross for us and our salvation. And as such, he is willing to give gifts. In other words, he's able to give gifts because he ascended. And he's going to want to give gifts because he's the one who's done all of this for us. He is the giver of gifts because he is able and willing. It's all about the type of giver. The one who ascended is the one who descended. Now, for our purposes, what's interesting is how the ascension is linked with the sending of gifts. His ascension is for the benefit of his people. His sending of gifts to the church is because Jesus has been victorious. Notice that um, in Ephesians 4 there, in verse 11, certain gifts are mentioned. 
And the thing that they all have in common are that they are um, all word ministers. And they're mentioned first because they are necessary so that all the other gifts may be used for the purpose for which they were given, namely the building of the church. Last week, we noted that the ascension can be neglected in Christian circles today. Well, what might be the effect of, of this in uh, today's case? Well, an ascensionless church risks being a church that hasn't properly understood or accepted Jesus' gifts for her life now. She may not value the gift of word ministry that she has been given. And as a result, her acts of service are uninformed acts of service. In this way, she is refusing the headship of Christ. Let me give you an example of this. It's the idea of um, ecumenism. That's how you say it. Ecumenism is the idea of promoting unity among the world's Christian churches. But listen to how one writer expresses it. He says this. Is ecumenism to be a quest for some specifically churchly unity or for some greater global unity that is still coming, to which that of the church is purely instrumental? The main purpose of the church is not to remember Jesus. Its main purpose, surely, is to participate now, in present future time, in the redemption of the world. Now, it's a fascinating insight because he observes how the quest for church unity can easily become a much wider project, a quest for global unity. The reason being is because Jesus has not been remembered. In his absence, the church is left to her own devices and her quest becomes uninformed. The Ascension helps Christians address and understand the question of how we're to understand his absence. But if the ascension is downplayed, we risk a faulty understanding of his absence. In this example, the absence of Jesus means that, well, he's just less central to Christian lives now. Their quest has become a quest for unity that's not found in the Bible. Whether it's a quest for unity, for unity's sake, Uh, a unity among different religions, or even some kind of quest for unity in our communities. It's possible for a quest to be thought of as worthy, yet it's uninformed, precisely because the gifts that the ascended Christ have given have not been valued.
Well, it's Christmas Eve, and it won't be long now before we're opening our Christmas gifts that we have received. And in a slightly unusual Christmas miniseries, we've chosen this time not to reflect on the coming of the sun to us, but the coming of the sun to heaven. And we've seen how this coming relates to the Father. The Son comes to the Father and receives dominion. We've also seen how his coming relates to the Spirit. The Son comes to the Father in order to send the Spirit. The ascension then really does help us to address how we're to understand Jesus' absence. Because there is a sense in which he's not really absent at all. He is very much present with the Father, victorious. And he's very much present with us by his Spirit, who because of his coming, he has sent. Let's pray, and I'll open it up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Uh, these last two weeks, where we've been able to reflect on the coming of your Son to heaven. Uh, And we thank you that it is to our advantage, as we've seen today, that his coming means that your Spirit has come to us. We thank you that he is the one who has applied the work of Jesus to us and given us new birth in his name. And we thank you too for the gifts that he has given us. And we pray that we would... uh, gladly be informed by your word how to use those gifts to serve one another for the building of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you have a moment now. If you have any questions or comments. But there aren't many of you, so, you know, it may not happen. I'm looking for more questions rather than like, what am I getting for Christmas? And I've already told Henry what I'm getting, so. And he's told me what he's getting. It's quite exciting. Should we leave it there? What was that? No. We've been thinking these last two weeks about the ascension of Jesus Christ. And traditional theology sees the ascension as the transition from Jesus' state of humility to his exaltation. The Son's incarnation was a mark of his humility. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant. Yet, the ascension does not simply reverse his humility. Because the Son's incarnation, which is so central to his humility, continues in the ascension. It is the God-man Jesus who ascends. His incarnation continues. Furthermore, we can also say that the exaltation of Jesus actually began at the cross. For there Jesus was lifted up. Exaltation is not separate from the humility of the cross, but lies through it. 
And it's a reminder that whilst it is profitable, profitable to reflect on the different aspects of Jesus' ministry, we can never isolate one from the others. The coming of the Son to receive dominion from the Father, and who subsequently sent the Spirit, is the same one who humbled himself to be born of Mary and to be that suffering servant on the cross for us and our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, who ascended, is also the one who descended. That the one who humbled himself and took the form of a servant, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, is one and the same with him who has ascended to your right hand, who has now received all dominion and has sent your spirit. We thank you how this informs our understanding of you, that we serve one who first served us, that our humility before one another is patterned on your humility to us. We thank you for opportunities this Christmas to rest with family and friends. And we pray that we would serve those around us with lives contoured by your gospel. Amen. We're going to sing our final carol, possibly the greatest. Well, that is the end of our meeting. Uh, all that's left to say is, I hope you have a fabulous Christmas. Um, are there any goodies? There were goodies to pass around, even Christmas Eve. So do, uh, do make the most of our, our time we have together now. Uh, but let me finish with these uh, words uh, in Ephesians 4. Let me read verses 7 and 8. It says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Amen.